Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Brew Hoop podcast. This is Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com. Just wanted to let you know that majority of this episode was recorded before the Bucks 104 to 98 victory over the Denver Nuggets. So I just figured I'd touch on a few takeaways from the game before we get into the meat of this week's episode, uh, turkey meat. Uh, in fact, there, you can stay tuned for a lot of dumb Thanksgiving jokes. But, you know, this was a really interesting game. I mean, obviously Denver rushes out to a pretty early lead. Bucks are trailing by 10 at the half. Uh, they're shooting quite poorly from three. Uh, you know, it, it really was a, a struggle in the first half for the Bucks to, to get going into their usual offense and get what they wanted to do. You know, at halftime, the Bucks are just 4 of 16 from 3, 25%. To the end of the night, 11 of 36. So, you know, you can do the math. 7 of 20, considerably better half. They end the night at 30.6%. Still far below their average, though, for the season. Uh, meanwhile, the Nuggets go 12 of 41 from 3, 29.3%. So, not a great night for them from deep, but they did launch up plenty of attempts, which uh, is what they want to be able to do against this Bucks team. And of course, you know, they these two teams just faced each other, and and really one of the big differences in the game was the turnovers and Milwaukee's ability to capitalize on it. So both teams had 17 turnovers tonight, but Milwaukee has the edge in points off turnovers, 31 for the Bucks versus 18 for the Nuggets and you know that's that, that makes a huge difference Milwaukee's obviously a terror in transition you can only imagine Giannis steamrolling into you into the lane I'd be getting out of the way as well and you know really I think I think one of the more important things to highlight from tonight's game was you know in the third quarter Giannis you know Giannis is 12 points at halftime and then the third quarter the Bucks come in they're trailing by 10 and Giannis takes over I mean he turns into the type of monster that we all know he can be and the way he did it was the most interesting part is that he's did what he's been doing all year he just absolutely decimated them inside I mean he leads the league in terms of shots that are coming in the restricted area 10.5 field goal attempts per game and is shooting a ludicrous ludicrous 75.5 percent from that area so you know one can only imagine the type of uh, shots he was getting tonight, and he was dunking all over the Nuggets. The, the The fact that his footwork in the paint has turned into this balletic turning and twisting and the patience that he's able to show to just the right angle and leap off two feet and slam over guys no matter where he is. I mean, this is a guy who will certainly be probably the most dominating player inside in the NBA take that mantle over from LeBron and he's going to have it for years and years and years. This guy absolutely destroyed the Nuggets inside no matter who they threw at him. Even Paul Millsap who is stout as hell and was going to war with Giannis down low on both ends of the both ends of the court. Even Paul Millsap looked like feeble against Giannis's strength. So it really was. He scores 15 points in that third quarter single-handedly he's the guy who got the Bucks back into this game it was one of those type of performances where you just put yourselves on Giannis's back and just ride him until you get close enough and you know Bud let him start the fourth and took him out after he started forcing it a little bit and from there it really was a, a great mix of a bunch of different Bucks contributing to get him towards the finish line so the Bucks open up a a decent lead towards the end and then the Nuggets start to inch back into it but you get a three by Brooke Lopez you get an alley-oop from Bledsoe to Giannis. Uh, Bledsoe is hitting some absolutely clutch threes tonight. It was really good night for him. And, you know, you see his stat line at the end of the night. It's 8 for 10, 3 for 4 from 3, 4 for 9 from the line, 23 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds, 3 steals. It, those nights where Bledsoe is in that sweet zone between 10 shot, attempt, 10 shot attempts and 13 shot attempts, on high efficiency, I mean, those are the types of nights that you absolutely want for Bledsoe, and he delivered. And even Chris Middleton, who, really tough shooting night for him, 4 of 15 overall, 1 of 8 from 3, just 13 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. But he comes up with a massive, massive 3 towards the end to salt this one away. He hesitates when he has a decent look against, then allows Wancho Hernan Gomez to recover, but he takes this tough, tough step-back jumper, nails the 3, and... Basically, that seals the fate for the Nuggets. So, you know, Milwaukee walks away with, yet again, another really 
really strong victory over one of the West's best teams, and they've really been piling those up lately. And they have a decent stretch here that we get into at the end of this episode where they're not facing quite as difficult of teams. But, you know, as we showed, uh, as they showed against Memphis and, and Chicago, I mean, Chicago gave them everything they could handle in that first half and then wilted towards the end. But, you know, Milwaukee's really got to keep uh, keep up this, this stretch that they're in here. And, you know, the city jerseys in their debut tonight, they looked honestly better than I thought. I was you know, a little dubious of them when they first came out. But the thing I really like is that little neon glow around the the Bucks thing. It looks like weirdly like some sort of odd word art from words circa mid-1990s. And I kind of like that about it. But obviously the Mecca goes back way before that. But, you know, regardless, we got to see the City jerseys for the first time. Got to see a fantastic Bucks win against the Nuggets. And we'll be heading into the holidays with one of the best teams in the NBA, and I never thought I would be saying that. So hope you guys uh, didn't mind my rambling here getting into the first part of this Bucks game. But uh, make sure to stay tuned. We've got some awesome conversation. It's Kyle and Riley were nice enough to join me for a rambling discussion over uh, Bucks re-ranking the Bucks roster, talking about Dante and John Henson's injuries, discussing some impending free agency stuff, and then a look ahead. And of course, a shocking, shocking revelation from Kyle about his favorite Thanksgiving food. So stay tuned after the break, and we'll get into the meat of this episode. Thanks again for listening. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. We're back after... I just always forget how long the absence is, but we're back. Uh, that's the most important thing. We're trying to give you stuff your podcast boxes with a little bit of a Thanksgiving feast here episode. I'm joined by, as per usual, Adam. This is Adam Paris, of course, of Brew Hoop co-managing editor i'm joined by the faithful co-podcast hosts riley feldman and kyle Carr. guys how are you doing i am back from my south beach mojito fueled haze um and i am ready to put together the definitive list of which bucks player is which dish at a thanksgiving meal i'm good had to take care of some personal things so a lot of traveling but yeah, I'm still trying to process what happened last Friday night's game with the Bulls. I, I've, I've rewatched and I still don't believe it happened. Yeah, that was that was certainly a fever dream. That's one where it feels like the that you know if you were eating turkey, the tryptophan really kicked in there, and you get into that like four o'clock haze or whatever. Um, you know, and of course, I think it's important, as Riley alluded to, we need to be making a lot of Thanksgiving. Uh, illusions this episode uh, so i'd like to ask you guys what is your favorite thanksgiving food um or after stuffing which is of course the best uh, thanksgiving food you stole my answer how dare, <laughs> you? how dare you um it's tough because obviously turkey it, it's it gets main billing but it's so dependent on how you prepare it so i would say if it's not turkey i would probably go um potatoes with gravy as long as you can count those two as one thing. So I would go gotcha, that. Okay. So R- Riley's a very a, a traditionalist. Kyle, what about you? I have a weird one. Well, mm. I people probably think it's weird, but I love cranberry sauce. It oh, is God. one of my favorites. All right. I don't care now if it's from a can. Forward <laughs> going forward with this podcast, it's just going to be me and Adam. Sorry, Kyle. You <laughs> yeah, you're voted out. Is, is it genuinely, so it's genuinely your favorite thing. So like you, you're, Whoever is getting it ready opens up the can of cranberry sauce and you eat like half of it. Do you eat like half the can? Probably the whole thing. <laughs> oh my God. Not going to lie. I, I just end up taking the whole thing myself. <laughs> oh my God. But Emma's parents, um, she, her mom like makes it homemade and like, I don't know what she does, but mixes it with bourbon or something. And it is delicious. Oh no. <laughs> See, okay. <you're> being, <laughs> losing contact with Earth while you're also. <laughs> okay. So, wait, do you double up? Do you eat hers and the whole can? I mean, if it's there, I'll take it. But oh, most of the time, it's either, well, it depends. Because if I'm eating Thanksgiving with 
Emma's parents, then it's just that. But if I mean he wants to see my parents, then it's the can. Wow. I have <laughs> never... That threw me for a loop. Okay. Um, Riley, what kind of stuffing man are you? Do you do you like make your own? Are you a craft box guy? To be honest, um, I've done both. I have no preference one way or the other. Last year we did Thanksgiving, not at home, so we just did it by the box, and it was pretty good. But I think, um, you know... I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I'm I'm an equal opportunity stuffing lover. Okay, that's that's really fair. I'm trying to think if I have anything unique that I like. I do like the stuffing. I've been a big big fan of box stuffing for a long time. Fond memories of in my in my larger days, just making a, a box of craft stuffing home alone and just sitting on the uh, floor with a towel and eating it out of the bin. Um, <laughs> you can't go wrong with stuffing. Like stuffing has to be part of your dinner. If it's not, then you're not doing Thanksgiving right. This is maybe the oddest, saddest way to start off a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of sad, uh, there are a couple of big injuries to the Bucks, actually. So this will kick us into our actual conversation. So it turns out that John Henson needs to have left, left wrist surgery. Looks like he's going to be out for uh, about 12 weeks. It sounds like he's been, he'll be reevaluated. Dante also uh, has a left quad strain. So he's going to miss um, at least the last game, which was, was the Bulls game. Uh, then that Nuggets game, and then so, it, and then the game after that against Portland. So it was at least three games before he was going to be reevaluated. So uh, I think the most important development here is because Pat Connaughton was starting to eat a little bit of Dante Divincenzo's minutes. But a more important development, I think, is losing John Henson, who you know thus far this year had been a pretty been putting up a uh, pretty good stats as a backup backup center. I think was really fitting into his role. If you're just looking at per thirty six numbers. Uh, 15.1 points uh, in out, outrageous 13.6 rebounds. Doubt that would actually hold up over 36 minutes. Uh, promising, though, 35.5% from three uh, on this season, of course. That's been one of the bigger developments of the year. And um, if you're just looking at how many threes he's shot this year, a, a relatively promising 31. I mean, so to shoot 35.5% on those, he's he's really fit into that role well. Uh, I haven't. I, I don't really feel like I've seen him using as some more of his passing skills that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier in the year that he's not working as much from the high post or the elbow. So not as much need for that. He's really trying to fit in more as a, honestly a floor spacer. But I think the most important thing uh, with Henson's injury here is that it gives, opens up some minutes for Thon maker. So Riley, um, you know, obviously Thon maker has, you know, been sort of a divisive figure among Bucks fans and he came into this game against Memphis that the Bucks unfortunately lost and, and seemed to give them a jolt. But what are you expecting out of Thon maker realistically as he's, he's filling in for, you know, the foreseeable future? It's a good question. Um, I think it's obviously unrealistic to expect playoff thon to be around for the entire season because we've been waiting for playoff thon to make regular uh, appearances for years now. Um, I'm not sure how large of a drop off they'll be when we move from John to thon, um, if only because the things that you lose in terms of rebounding percentage and things like that. In theory, you're going to be able to make up for on the offensive end because while John has fit in quite well in Bud's system with you know, as you just said, making 35% of his threes and taking quite a few of them. Um, I would say the one edge that Don will have is the fact that his shooting was a part of his game since he came into the league. And it's arguable about how good of a shooter he is, but I think it, I think his three point attempt range is like 60% or something along those lines. And he's making, uh, I'd have to look at the percentage, but it's, yeah, pretty it's, it's 60% and he's shooting 38.1% on those this year. Okay. Well, the uh, moral of the story is I think it's we'll see decreases on the um, rebounding numbers. Probably, though, it'll be made up. We'll have to see how it works out, but I think it'll be made up by increased shooting on the other end. So we'll just kind of have to see. Yeah, I was going to say, Kyle, it, it, I mean, it seems like, I mean, coming into this year, Thonmaker seems like he would be a pretty natural fit, but of course he wasn't able to get those minutes over John Henson. So, you know, how do you see Thonmaker um, fitting in offensively? It seems like he would be a natural fit for what Bud wants that wants his players to do. Yeah, I was going to say offensively, I don't think there's going to be an issue just because Thon already, when he's in the game, he pretty much stands out in the perimeter. He's not really clogging up the paint or trying to set like screens for other teammates. So I think offensively it won't be too much of a concern. He's still shooting the three ball pretty well. He's able to catch a couple passes every once in a while. So that's a <laughs> promising development. 
But, yeah, I think it's going to be more on the defensive side that it's going to be really interesting. We saw kind of in the Bulls game where he was still able to, you know, drop down and defend well enough, even though his, like, calling card is being able to switch on other players. So I think that's going to be the question is if he's going to be able to adjust quickly enough in the scheme and also not foul. Because if he gets into foul trouble, then that kind of leaves Milwaukee in a very difficult decision in terms of what you do with the five position. Do you put Lopez back in? Do you kind of go with the Urson or Giannis lineup? Do you maybe throw Christian Wood out there? That's when it starts getting a little bit of a concern, if not where to, for some reason, get into foul trouble early. Yeah, and I think defense is, is one of the more important sticking points here that we're, we certainly want to discuss. It's been one of the more interesting talking points, of course, in this early going of the season. Just a few other stats. These are, of course, pretty small sample size. It's around 100. I think it's about 180 minutes with John Henson. But uh, in terms of net rating, so the Bucks are have a 0.7 net rating with John Henson on, which is actually relatively low compared to the teams. Uh, a lot of the other players, considering they're, the Bucks are waxing teams this year, 15.1 net rating with John Henson off. Thonmaker has a, a 13.2 net rating with him on, uh, 10.5 with Maker off. So not a huge disparity whether he's on or off. But the Bucks do have a completely unsustainable 92.5 defensive rating with Thon out there in, in just 85 minutes. But you know, the thing about Thon that's interesting is, you know, everyone has talked about how really he's, t- he's sort of tailor-made to try and, well, theoretically, he's tailor-made to be that big who comes out and hedges or, or switches. And if he, even if he hedges, he's able to recover. And you certainly saw him have some trouble with that last year with his instincts, knowing where to go and, and getting hyperactive. Um, you know, but it, I mean, in reality, his defensive instincts are, are pretty poor. Sometimes he kind of looks like a, like a hummingbird on, on monster out there or something just buzzing around. And, you know, sometimes that work to his works to his benefit, but other times it's certainly to the detriment. And, you know, Riley, what we've seen so far is the guy in the center of this Bucks offense really isn't asked to do that much, but he is asked to sort of stalk and patrol the paint and, and know when to rotate, know when to go out on a shooter, know when to, you know, just sort of back into the paint and, and allow them to form a brick wall. So how do you sort of see Thon uh, fitting into this defensive scheme under Bud? Do you think he's going to adapt it at all? Or do you think he's just going to see, throw him in there and see how he sinks or swims in the scheme they've been using so far? I would say it's probably more the latter than the former. We've kind of seen it with, you know, whoever happens to be the personnel on the floor, whether it be the substitutes or the starting unit, the entire team seems pretty dead set on fostering and following along Bud's system, no matter what, who the personnel actually is. So I would anticipate at least early on, and this would kind of be a question for Bud's office as, or Bud system as the year goes on, but I think we can anticipate early on for Thon that he's going to be asked to fulfill the same exact defensive role that um, Brooke and John are. And part of it too will probably depend on who else is he on the floor with. So if he's out there with Giannis, is Giannis able to kind of compensate for the fact that Thon isn't nearly as crisp with his defensive decisions as Brooke is or John is, for example. Um, but I think overriding for the at least the foreseeable future, we can expect the system to essentially keep working the way it has. And if Thon is like a complete and total disaster, I would almost think that maybe um but if it feels more comfortable with Giannis or like Kyle was saying somebody else just to make the system continue to function I would probably guess that instead of changing the system we're going to see somebody else out there before um things are shifted for Don's benefit yeah I think that makes sense so the other thing I was thinking about Kyle was how I, I mean I don't think this was Thon's this in my opinion was not going to be a good thing for Thon long term to be some sort of backup for but we had certainly seen that under Bud so far a little bit in the preseason and some uh, to start the season as well and it was really the only way that Thon was getting on the floor so if you look at basketball references positional estimate you know they have him at seven percent this year at power forward 93 percent at center I mean granted that's not a ton but you know his rookie year he's at he's at 100 percent center sophomore year two percent power forward 98 percent center so I think in reality, a lot of us believe that Thon, if he's actually going to have value, is probably going to have to play center. So do you think this is a good opportunity here to actually see him in the position that he could potentially have value at long term as opposed to being sort of shoehorned into this power forward position? Yeah, I think this is going to be ideal for Thon to make his case on why Milwaukee decided to pick up his option. I know some people out there are not thrilled with it, and I can understand why, because it's not like Thon has been a good NBA player. For the couple of years he's been in Milwaukee, he kind of shows the flashes. We've seen playoff Thon. We've seen Toronto Thon. So <laughs> it's really important for him just to show that he can at least come in and 
I mean, he doesn't have to outplay John Henson right now. He just at least has to show that he can play at the same level that Henson did prior to his injury. And if he does that, then not only will Milwaukee be fine, but it will show that, okay, Thon can at least be counted on to give rotation minutes. And that's something that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. And I think that's something that we'll want to know whether, even if we want to trade Thon down the road, at least he can show this guy is an NBA player, which... I'm still convinced he is, and I mean, he has the tools, and he's kind of in the system that should allow him to flourish, so hopefully he takes full advantage of it, because if not, then it's going to be a very long three months without John Henson, words I never thought I'd say going into the season. So, okay, the other thing that you alluded to earlier, Riley, is the fact that we'd probably see someone else slotted in if 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 it seems like Thon Maker is struggling here. So do you think there's any chance that the Christian Woodstands will finally get the opportunity to see him suit up not in a herd uniform? Maybe, but um I actually watched my first herd game last weekend in a bitter loss to the Windy City Bulls. Um <laughs> and Christian Wood got quite a bit of run and I think he ended up with like 23 points and 12 rebounds. But um, both him and Sterling Brown, who was also on assignment with the herd, neither of them were super impressive for being NBA guys who were assigned to the G League. Um, it's it's weird because Wood has the he seems to have a lot better control over his length, especially on the offensive end versus Thon. But um, I, I don't know, he didn't seem to have that strong of an outing. So I'm sure eventually he'll probably get a little bit of minutes. But I'm almost wondering if bud will feel more inclined to utilize maybe Giannis just because to get some experimentation within like a competitive environment for later on in the season so i'm not sure if christian will be the de facto first guy after thon to get minutes yeah that's a good point and of course there's always ursan Ilyasova who could go in and, and fill the five there for for a few minutes or, st- or two he's uh he's done that a little bit already this year um let me just look up i can see what his positional uh, estimate is um via basketball reference of course but you know i think the um i mean it's so weird with the you know all the hype about christian wood and you know all that kind of stuff and it, it all it, it just kind of goes to show you that it's just so easy to get excited in the preseason and then just sort of lose lose just like i mean people certainly weren't losing their minds over it but i mean it, it's pretty easy to be like oh wow this is this is just enjoyable for these these bits and, and losing track of the fact that this is a guy who just kind of bounced around for a few years, hasn't been able to even find his way onto uh, many other rosters uh, or, or stuck in any sort of way. So, oh, so okay, I already got to Ursan's numbers here. So interestingly, they have him at 25% small forward this year, which is he's almost never played small forward in, or listed at it via basketball reference uh, in his career. The only other two times were one season he was at 2%. One season he was at 9%. Power forward, he's at 74%. And center, he's actually at 1%, which is his lowest uh, positional estimate in the last, uh, what is that, six years. So really that hasn't been something that that Bud has gone to very much so far. And I certainly don't blame him considering the the depth of centers that he has on the roster between Lopez and Henson and, and Wood and, and Maker, of course. But we'll see now if that's something that Bud relies on a little more considering he certainly went to it in, in Atlanta at points with Ursan. Um. So, of course, the other injury that we have to talk about is, is Dante DiVincenzo, and hopefully his doesn't last nearly as long as, as John Henson's, but I think it's time, you guys, that we get to one of our favorite segments of the podcast, and that is, it's time for Dante's Inferno. This power, Dante. We can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. I'm so glad that is now a thing, by the way. <laughs> there was supposed to be like some sort of graphic right there. We're like, <laughs> yeah, well, that is pretty much what the sound is like. Uh, the, bu- <laughs> the bumper is. Well, the, yeah, the bumper that you just heard, because I'm not editing this out. Um, all right, guys, let's talk about Dante's Inferno. And I have to say, this is certainly the saddest uh, entry, I think, to Dante's Inferno yet. So me, I just literally had trouble coming up with something. So what I'm going to highlight is um, Dante attending the Hoops to Troops dinner with Brooke Lopez. So they went uh, with some, with some vets and they, you know, had dinner with them and there's a nice video on bucks.com and Brooke Lopez is the only one who talks. Dante DiVincenzo doesn't get even a second to be a talking head. So I, I, who knows what, if he was even videoed or if his stuff got cut out, but 
you know what that that stood out to me was uh, Dante going down there and having some dinner with uh, with some vets. So kudos to you, Dante. All right, Kyle, what's your take on Dante for Dante? I'm as a Dante stan. I'm <laughs> hurt by his injury, but. He also seemed to have hit a rookie wall. You know, I think a lot of that was because of the defensive assignments he's had in the past couple of weeks. I mean, he's had some tough assignments between CJ McCollum. Um, I th- he's just had a gauntlet of trying to defend guys. I mean, I think he had Clay Thompson at one point during the Western Conference road trip. He seemed like he was running out of steam, and because of that, his shot wasn't falling. So maybe this injury will kind of be a good thing. They'll give him a chance to, you know, just like recoup, try and just, you know, get back to watching a NBA, like watching it from the bench instead of trying to be thrown into the fire. So I think that's going to be something that I'm going to look, I'm going to look at in the next month or two, assuming he comes back from injury in the next week. Uh, he was also at a screening with uh, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, and I think Sterling Brown was there, and I think Tony Snell. They went and saw Creed yeah, I think too. Was too. Yeah, I, I didn't see Henson. I know there's a picture, and I saw Bledsoe, Brogdon, Dante, and Snell for sure. So they were watching Creed too. So that's another thing that Dante was doing. So good to see him get involved in the community. Yeah, I was going to say, that was the other thing, is the Bucks do a lot of stuff in the community. Um, we I don't know, we don't publicize it that much on the website, but they do a lot of awesome stuff. So I wanted to highlight Dante going out and doing that. And uh, you bring up an interesting point with him getting all those tough defensive assignments. The West Coast road trip was not kind to him, especially in regards to that. Uh, CJ McCollum tape that went viral and I felt really bad for him then. So, but hopefully he he gets back safely and uh, is able to get back out here and we'll have some prime entries for Dante's Inferno. Riley, you have anything? I can actually contribute now that I'm actually here at the laptop. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree with Kyle's general point and I'm not too worried. I think the beauty of Pat Connaughton kind of stepping in and like proving himself to be, uh, you know, pretty much a steal of the summer kind of along side uh brooke is that um if this injury takes a little while because quads are kind of finicky as we've seen with like Kawhi and you know other guys who end up with quad injuries they kind of come and go um so in general i agree that it's not the end of the world pat will be able to fill in for most of the minutes and then we've got you know whether it be tony or sterling or whoever else kind of down the roster um so take your time dante uh change your hair still and come back strong when you're healed up well, so in place of in place of what normally would have been us waxing poetic about Dante, which is actually it's a good way to phrase that, considering uh, whatever the source material. Um, Pat Connaughton has, of course, as you alluded to, emerged in the ashes of Dante's Inferno, and he's started to just soup up his minutes and, and take what Dante was doing on the court, and he's really been a, a prime contributor. And I think what I want to parlay this into is. Uh, a discussion of uh, of some of the the assets that are on the Bucks roster, in part, to, and then a, eventually a look ahead to free agency next year. Um, and so, I, I want to start this conversation first by just laying out what the uh, loyal Brew Hoop readers had as the ranking the roster results for this season. So, I'll go through this, and then I'll I'll sort of ask who you guys think might be movers and shakers on this list. So, I'll start it off. So, Giannis was of course number one. Chris was number two. Bledsoe was three. Brogdon four, Brooke Lopez finished fifth, Ursan Ilyasova was sixth, seventh was Thon Maker, eight was Dante DiVincenzo, nine was Tony Sell, Snell, ten Sterling Brown, eleven Pat Connaughton, twelve Matthew Delavadova, thirteen John Henson, fourteen Christian Wood, fifteen Tyler Zeller, R.I.P., sixteen Shabazz Muhammad, double R.I.P., ooh, then seventeen D.J. Wilson. All right. <laughs> Who, well, the uh, last place is still correct. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels just about right for DJ. <laughs> uh, yep. Okay. So, all right, Kyle, who do you, who do you think, if we're just going over that list uh, with a cursory glance, who do, you, who do you think seems like they might be, should move up? Uh, I definitely think Pat Connaughton would move up, maybe even up to seven, just because I don't know if I'd put him ahead of Ursan yet. Ursan's kind of been in a, a bit of a slump lately, but... I think with Ursan's just ability to rebound, take charges, still shoot the three ball, and like he plays that all important backup to honestly give him a breather every once in a while, I'll still put Ursan slightly above. But I think Pat Connaughton has played his way up into the seventh spot. Uh, Sterling Brown, unfortunately, I think would probably drop down maybe to that 12 or 13 range. So kind of maybe like a swap between where, like, 
I don't know. It's just kind of tough. While I think John Henson deserves to at least be in the top 10, probably, you know, ahead of Tony Snell and maybe even Dante. So I think that's the only things I would adjust. Otherwise, the top three, I mean, I was going to say Giannis, Milton, Bledsoe seems pretty fair. You can argue Lopez would be ahead of Brogdon, but I wouldn't. I, I'd be okay if you had it, you know, you kept it the same. Yeah, I think it's pretty much like John Henson deserves to be in the top 10 and maybe even eighth. All right, Riley, any reactions? Um, No, I kind of generally agree with a lot of that. Um, I would say that Brooke Lopez should probably, I don't know if I would give him a top three spot, but he definitely should probably move ahead of Malcolm just because his coming into the system has made so much of a rad or such a radical difference from last year, whether it be, I think the team is now, you know, second place in terms of rebounding percentage, the defensive scheme is like predicated upon him fulfilling his role and consistently being there to force mid range shots. Um, obviously I don't know what his wind share percentage is, but God knows how many games we've been kind of on the ropes. Then he, for whatever reason, hits five threes in a row and the team is right back into the thing. So um, the one downside for him is the fact that uh, he's only on a one-year deal. So if you're looking at asset, then that kind of knocks him down. But in terms of just on-court production, I think he's made a case to move up. And then otherwise, kind of looking through the list here, do, 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 do. Um, John Henson, I would also move him up if only because he seemed to finally be breaking through a little bit even though his contract still is not great um and the guy that i would elect to put at the very bottom right next to dj wilson would be our good friend matthew del vadova because yeah. yeah put him down there he's yeah, uh you got, if you're the victory cigar you definitely deserve that second of bottom spot <laughs> And you know what? God bless him for making his money. But if you're going to be making close to $10 million and you get zero minutes, then you, my friend, are going to be at the bottom of the line. So those would be the big changes. Otherwise, um, small changes here or small shifts here or there. But, uh, you know, it seems sort of similar to how we had it before the season. All right. So I probably didn't set this up super well, Kyle, because I, I should have said it also from an asset standpoint, because I was going to make the argument that Pat Connaughton should jump up to number six. Whoa. Maybe. Yeah, I can Maybe. see it. I, yeah. I mean, he's played. He's probably been one of the. Yeah, I can see it. Maybe five. Is he above Malcolm Brogdon? Hmm. I'd still go with no. Still go with no. Okay. I, it's I, weird. Brogdon's weird. Cause it seems like he's lately. It's it's like he has a great game. Then he just has like a bad game. He's kind of going back and forth. Like the Denver game. He was fantastic. Probably one of the best players the Bucks have that night beside Brooke Lopez. But then you kind of look at the Memphis game and he was just all out of sorts. And it seems like every time he's on the court, the rest of the team, you know, per 100 possessions, just significantly worse. So I don't know, but I'd still say Brogdon would be ahead of Connaughton just because it seems like he's had more great performances while Connaughton has had a lot of good performances. So, okay. So I'll just go, I'll just run through some of the numbers here. So obviously small sample sizes as usual. Malcolm Brogdon's isn't as small. It's 450 minutes. And obviously net rating isn't the end all be all because it's dependent on who you're playing on the court with. But so Malcolm Brogdon, 450 minutes this year with him on the court, the Bucks have a 7.3 net rating with him off the court. The Bucks have a 16 net rating. So if you're doing the math there, that's a negative. What is that? Negative 8.7. So technically negative 8.7 when he's on the court. And then Pat Connaughton, when he's on the court, they have a 16.5 net rating and a 9.5 net rating when he's off the court. So that that would be a positive uh, seven net rating for Pat Connaughton. So obviously not going to, you know, that's not the end all be all. I think Malcolm Brogdon right now has more skills to offer the team than Pat Connaughton. But I think he offers, uh, I mean, Pat Connaughton offers some stuff that, I I think maybe more valuable as a guy you don't always need to uh, handle the ball. I mean, he seems to find his way into um, cracks in the defense, and Malcolm Brogdon I think can do that on his own. I don't know if he does it as well as a cutter as Pat Connaughton, in my opinion. I also think that Pat Connaughton, you know, I don't think he's an amazing defender, but I think he might be a little bit better than Malcolm Brogdon, just given his slightly superior athleticism. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think there's some arguments to be made for that, as well as the fact that you also have Pat Connaughton 
under contract for next season for 1.7 million, which is approximately the amount Malcolm Brogdon is making this year. Whereas Brogdon is likely going to get a pretty decent payday. Uh, and I, I think, you know, he's going to be one of the most interesting guys to watch next year, particularly if there are teams that, uh, that have a whole host of cap space and miss out on guys and think that Brogdon might be someone that could deserve a, a bigger role. So I don't know. I could see Pat Connaughton moving up quite a bit and that hurts me a lot. Cause I love Tony Snell uh, with all my heart. And it's, it's, it's tough for me to see Connaughton, you know, taking his thunder. Yeah. I think it's just a credit to Pat. I mean, you know, like we said, when we first signed him or when he got signed over the summers, he made an appearance in every single game for the trailblazers last year. And they were obviously you can kind of whatever it's half glass full or glass. What is it? Glass half full. Jeez. Can I pronounce anything <laughs> tonight? What the hell is going on? Um, the fact that, they were a three C, but it was a really tight West, but they were still a good team out West and he made a lot of appearances. And so he had value on a team that had a, a pretty solid guard rotation to see him come in and kind of take up a similar spot within Milwaukee. I mean, credit to him for continuing on with and kind of fulfilling the role that I think John Horst envisioned bring him or, you know, Mike Budenholz or whoever was envisioned him having when he got here. All right, so it's, I think it's important to bring this back to Thanksgiving food. So, what do you guys think is the do you guys ever did your parents ever make three bean salad for Thanksgiving? Mm, no, we would like, like no. it's kind of like wet and sloppy and tasted like garbage. No, we didn't mac and oh, why didn't I mac and cheese? That should I should have said that. No, I still like cranberry sauce more. You can't take it back. You're already <laughs> no, you already down cranberry, cranberry sauce. Yeah, yep, you're already in there. It's so mac and well, cheese strong strong choice i was trying to think if there was something that was ever made at your meal that you just always skipped and never wanted um because i was trying to place a couple of those guys in that tier like deli and wilson and uh think think where they might belong but it's hard to have bad a bad dish at thanksgiving yeah you kind of have to actively ruin something like you know if you're trying to make rolls from hand to use like baking powder instead of baking soda or whatever the deal is otherwise i know there's the whole industry for thanksgiving is it hums pretty well at this point, so you'd be hard pressed. Or you're terrible at making a turkey. That's yeah, true. A dry turkey is the worst. Oh dry my god. Tur- yeah, dry turkey's not good. All right. So I think the other thing we should discuss before we do a quick look ahead to the games is Riley brought this up. Is trying to think about some of the guys that we have because obviously the Bucks are are doing well, and so we need to come up with some some random thing to pick at and discuss for uh, the next year. So you wanted to kind of look at some of the free agents that we have next year and, and re-rank them in, in order of importance and, and who we think they are. So why don't you just run through what you, what you have Riley for the couple of players that you're, you thinking we should evaluate. So I think the big four that we can kind of look at right now, and obviously there are other guys that are relevant here, but the big four, Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and Malcolm Brogdon. And, you know, before the season, I think the way, I mean, obviously we just went through the list that in order, the list of assets was Chris first, Eric second, Malcolm third, Brooke, or sorry, fourth, but that was in their own rankings. Um, so I was just kind of thinking about as we go on through the season, how to prioritize the Bucks pretty, you know, they don't have like zero money, but it, they're going to be in a pretty tight situation in terms of cap. So I was just kind of going through and putting my own rankings. I still think I have Chris uh, first overall, if you're going to choose those four guys and who you have to get money to. And then after that, it, it, it's really tough deciding who to give the cash to and who to keep. And it, it's all kind of predicated upon what their market is like and what the next contract is like. But we can kind of start there. I don't know if either of you guys disagree with Chris being the top priority of those four guys in terms of free agents bringing them back i have no disagreements yeah yeah i I don't disagree i think there's i think there's a a a sort of weird hipster argument to be made about brooke just considering his value to the team this year but just in terms of sheer talent chris just overwhelms him too much yeah and then after that i kind of i I think Brooke, I would probably put as the guy that I have the least amount of worry about either retaining or needing to retain. So then it kind of comes down to Eric versus Malcolm and it's, it's tough. Like, like you were saying, Adam, it's difficult to figure out what Malcolm is going to get because he is going to, I think he's either 26 or he's about to turn 26. So he's not, you know, some spring chicken in terms of the NBA, but in theory, whatever contract he's on next, that'll be his prime. And he's young enough or he's got enough of a pedigree where a team might say, hey, that's worth 
you know, given a try on. And it's clear that Eric Bledsoe, the way that he goes on any given night is a big indicator of how the Bucks will do, especially on the defensive end. But he's also going to be 29. And there's something in his favor is the fact that we don't really know what the market is going to be for him. So, you know, maybe he's not going to drive up as much demand as we think because the NBA is a point guard heavy league right now. And his value is highest to the Bucks than it is to anybody else. So I, I had difficulty kind of figuring out which of those two I valued more. So you had Brooke last? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, and that was only, I think part of that was because I think the Bucks per the CBA are a little hand tied or their hands are a little tied as to how much they can offer him. I think it's just like 1.2 or 1.5% of, or 1.5 times, however much he's making this year. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that was my only rationale. I think they can only offer him a one year deal as well. I, I could be totally wrong on that, but I just thought the other two guys were maybe had a little more value in terms of being re-signed. What, what, what did you, what do you think, Kyle? So yeah, I would definitely have Middleton first. I guess I'm I'm looking at it as more what's the alternative if you don't sign the player. So like with Brook Lopez, if you don't have him, you can like, we can we've seen that you can kind of roll with Henson and Don, and it wouldn't hopefully be too much of a significant drop off. I mean Lopez is probably a better shooter and shoots it more frequently, but it seems like you know you can put another center in that lineup and it, you can still play pretty well. And with Bledsoe, it's tough because I'm trying to think what other point guards that are out there that are going to be available. Would you really take instead of Bledsoe? I would say Kemba Walker would be the first choice. And then, I don't know, maybe Terry Rozier. But after that, it's kind of like it's really bleak. It's not like there's really a point guard. This is like a point guard heavy draft either. So it's I think it would put Bledsoe second just because he's just been so good this year that especially defensively, I think it's better to have a gamble on him. And yeah, you might have to give him his last big paycheck and hopefully he does, his body doesn't, you know, deteriorate or fall apart. So I guess I would take Bledsoe second in terms of priority. And then I would put Lopez third just because what he can do is so beneficial to the Bucks while with Brogdon. I mean, he's playing as a two guard right now. And I mean, we've seen with Pat Connaughton, you can find a two guard out there and sign him to a, pretty much a lower market deal and he can give you good minutes. So I would say I go Middleton, Bledsoe, Lopez, Brockton. Okay. I, I, th I think I agree with that. I've been, I mean, bef I guess before the season, I think we did what we do. I think we, us personally did our top five for players that we thought might be most valuable or, or however we define that. And I definitely was standing for Eric Bledsoe. Um, so I, you know, I, I have a lot of qualms with signing him to, a contract after this year for a lengthy time. I think that's going to be one of the most difficult things for this team to figure out is, you know, they're in this precarious situation where they're going to go to the playoffs and they have to try and sort of make this decision is, is, you know, they're really only going to have like this one playoff run together, right under bud. And so are they going to, if they have a superb regular season, are they going to take that load of data that they have that this bucks team might be really, really good, but then they play disappointing in the playoffs. Are they just going to be like, okay, well we need to, figure out ways to fix this right now. We need to jettison this player or this player and then get in this new player and this new player. I mean, this was a similar thing that Toronto was facing for years and granted they didn't have a player nearly as good as Giannis, but it seems like they probably, you know, waited a little too long to try and shift up their roster. And eventually, obviously they made a huge change now, but I think that's something that the Bucks are going to have such a hard time figuring out going into next season is do we take whatever the sample size is in the playoffs? And obviously if they do really well, then you know, that makes the, answer a lot easier but if they are slightly disappointing after having you know a superb regular season i mean they're top five in offensive and defensive rating for god's sake you know i think that's gonna make their summer one of the more you know obviously we've all thought it'd be fascinating but I, th I think it's gonna make for some really difficult decisions you know on the top level and so i mean i'd go chris and bled so i think brooke is more important than we're making him out to be i mean i just looked this i was just curious about this i looked up guys in the nba who are averaging at least seven three-pointers a game. And uh, I ranked them by three-point percentage. Number one, Stephen Curry. Who do you guys think is number two? Is it Brooke Lopez by chance? Close. It's Chris Middleton. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> womp, womp. I was going to guess John Hampton, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's actually he's actually not that close um, to the top. So we're actually going to go a really long time before we get to him. So who do you guys think is third? 
I, I got burned saying Brooke Lopez, so I'm going uh, to no, it's, it's, it's Brooke Lopez. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, but I mean, this is the, I mean, obviously it's, it's a hot start, but the dude's averaging 7.1 three point attempts per game, making them about two percentage points less than Chris Middleton. He's, he's third in the league among guys who are averaging that much. He's above holiday Walker, uh, Redick. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I, I think the, the thing that we have to think about here is, is I think back to that Bucks team that, it's granted very different situations, far better coach, but I think back to Jason Kidd's first year, uh, it, they had those really, they had those interesting decisions to make after that year as they, so they got rid of some veterans who were really, really helpful to the team, like Jared Dudley and Zaza Pachulia. And then they basically used that, some of the dollars that they saved that they would have paid it to them and, and brought in Greg Monroe. And we all know how that worked out. So I think there's a really difficult calculus to what this Bucks front office has to figure out. Uh, based on sample sizes from regular season playoffs and decide who is the most important pieces going forward and maybe what their window is too. The one hardening when kind of heartening thing when looking at the decisions they're going to have to make is um, let's assume that they do commit to Chris for however much is going to be quite a bit of their cap space. I'm definitely made a lot more positive or I feel a lot more optimistic based on the small moves that John Horst and Mike Budenholzer were able to make, whether it be Pat Connaughton or Brooke Lopez or Ersan Eliasova. Um, each of those guys brings quite a bit of value in their own way so far, or at least, you know, whatever, 15 games into the season. So, and I think there's going to be room for teams next off season that don't jump into the feeding frenzy right from the get go and kind of bide their time, which I think if Milwaukee, plays things right so they could be one of those teams um you could probably find quite a number of steals on the open market so even if you know for whatever reason you're not able to bring back eric bledsoe or malcolm brogdon or whoever it happens to be um you hope that there's room to find um good deals for value players out there so that's that's one area where i feel a little bit more confident than i would have you know even five six months ago oh, that's fair kyle anything anything any last words to add I, I just don't know what's going to happen. I feel like in terms of I feel like Middleton's going to set the market for everything else. Cause if you can I mean, I'm expecting Middleton to get the max, but if for some crazy reason Middleton takes a slightly lower deal, maybe it kind of trickles down. So then Lopez might be able to take, you know, a lower deal. Brogdon might not take like a 10 million deal and will take an eight. I want I kind of wonder if trying to win would possibly prioritize over getting your money. I doubt it, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, of course, everyone knows Giannis took a bit of a pay cut. So, I mean, but Chris Chris already took a, had a pretty decent pay cut in his last deal as well. So, the man probably wants to get paid, and uh, I, you know, don't uh, don't blame him at all. And so, we'll have to we'll be monitoring this all season. I'm sure this will come up on podcast after podcast. But I think it's time we take a look ahead then at the next six games uh, before we likely podcast again. So. This this Wednesday against uh, Portland Trailblazers, they play at seven o'clock Central. Phoenix Suns are on Friday, seven thirty Central. San Antonio, seven thirty Central. At Charlotte, uh, six p.m. Central. Thank goodness, God, I love when they play on the East Coast. Uh, Chicago, seven o'clock Central, and then the Knicks at four o'clock Central on Saturday, December first. So, good chunk of games there, guys. And uh, as as usual, we'll keep our, our our predictions going. And I would like to. Shout out Kyle and Riley, who both accurately predicted a two and two split on the road trip. I got too excited, I guess three and one. So I guess in terms of uh, who's been winning our, our little breakdowns here, our little sprints, Kyle is, you know, has basically had the corrected best guessed the correct record two times in a row. So I'll, uh, I'll let you lead off this time. Cranberry man. All right. <laughs> um, I, I feel like the Portland one is really the toughest one for me to gauge. I can see them dropping that game, but I'll be optimistic and say five and one. I, Whoa. I'm going to say, yeah, I'll say five and one because they'll either drop the Trailblazers game and then go on a winning streak, or I can see that San Antonio one for some reason just being like a weird. I get to see San Antonio just hitting every mid range shot possible and the Mavs just screwing over the Bucks. So I'll say five and one. You are right that it seems every freaking team has their historic like shooting night against us. Like one dude gets hot for whatever his career 50 point game. Um, I'm going to go slightly more pessimistic and I'm going to say four and two over the next six. 
Uh, I agree with you, Kyle, that the two tough ones to pick, obviously, are the Trailblazers and the Spurs. Um, I'm going to say they'll beat the Trailblazers, but then we're going to get Jabari Parker game part two, the game that was stolen from him, and they will uh, drop the game against Chicago, and we'll have to fold the team because we'll be so disgraced. I feel like that's just going to hurt you the most, Riley. I don't know why you're doing that to yourself. What, picking them to lose like that? Yeah. No, I don't know. I would say losing to the Suns would be much more embarrassing than losing to the Bulls. <laughs> That's true. We were, I mean, we were down whatever, 50 billion points in the first half, just whatever, three days ago against the Bulls. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that you don't have a, the craziest comeback second half and you end up dropping one of the Bulls. So if they lose that one, I won't be, you know, super surprised. All right. Well, I'm going to go four and two as well. I'm thinking I had sort of the same logic as Kyle with that San Antonio game. I think they're uniquely suited to uh, lay down rain hellfire on us from the mid range. And then I think we're going to drop the game to the Knicks. It's going to be a weird game. It's a Saturday. Four o'clock start is odd. Uh, I don't know. I'm just feeling some, I'm feeling some weird vibes about that game. So I'm, I'm guessing four and two in that respect. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll check in next time to see how we're doing. So well, I think that'll do it for our Thanksgiving episode. I feel like we had just just a wonderful time, all of us coming around the hearth and sharing this meal. And of course, Kyle's favorite cranberry <laughs> sauce revelation <laughs> thing. Cranberry sauce. He's just yeah. in the corner. <laughs> yeah, he's. Just I will happily eat my cranberry sauce in the corner. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, uh, please share that from the Brew Hoop account. The massive amount of cranberry sauce you're about to consume, and uh, and uh, of course, follow us. You can follow the BrewHoop account at BrewHoop. Make sure to do that. And uh, check out BrewHoop.com. We'll be covering all of these games. And uh, I hope everyone has a, a wonderful holiday and amazing Thanksgiving with friends and family. I'm thankful for the fact that you guys listen to us at all and listen to us whenever we put out podcasts. It, it means the world to us. So you can review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, show us to your friends, maybe even play us during your Thanksgiving meal. Maybe we could be the Thanksgiving uh, music that you have during the meal. I don't know. You know, just a suggestion. Someone hears my cranberry taste and decide, okay, we're going to have a better day. <laughs> yeah, we're going to shut that <laughs> off. <laughs> Whatever reason. What's up with that? Uh, well, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back again soon. On the streets of old Milwaukee, was a young boy walking. <laughs>